0: Welcome everyone, I am Michael, your host for Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the book of Enoch. This is the revised summary discussion of part two. So let's get to it. Summary discussion of part two, the presentation of three parables. The first canto in the second part introduces the first parable. All three parables have linguistic manipulations that conceal the secret messages hidden within them. The protective spell in the first parable causes sleeplessness, which results from an awakening to God's spiritual truth. The solution to this malediction is to praise God Almighty with truth and love. Persons who are the righteous elect or persons who are descendants of the righteous elect are likely to be affected by the quickening of the Holy Spirit, resulting in this experience of restlessness. The symptoms of being awakened to the reality of the Holy Spirit are different for everyone. See Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Unaffected readers will be those who are not among the righteous elect, their descendants, or they have refused the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy and denial of the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. God does not forgive those who blaspheme or deny that He is the Holy Spirit in His true form. The one true God does not allow belief in other gods before Him. So those who believe in a polytheistic theology of a holy trinity have blasphemed God in violation of the first commandment. They will not receive the truth within these parables until repenting of their sin. The doctrine of God's eternal truth says that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God nor was he born of a virgin because these concepts refer to the crime committed by the errant extraterrestrial angels who mated with human females in violation of God's commandments for them. The birth of a child as the Son of God creates a multiplicity of God which is a contradiction of true faith in only one God. The truth of this argument appears in both the book of Enoch the prophet and the book of Genesis in the Holy Bible. See chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 in Genesis. God is not a hypocrite and he would not do what he prohibited other eternal extraterrestrial beings from doing. Jesus Christ was a human being who was transfigured to have eternal life the same as Enoch, Elijah and possibly Noah. Jesus Christ was not an abomination to God because he was not the offspring of an eternal being and a human female. The spirit of Jesus Christ existed in the presence of God Almighty before Joseph and Mary joined to conceive and give him birth as a human being. But this fact is true of all life that originates from God. This fact is also the reason that God condemned the spirits of the Nephilim. The spirits of the Nephilim did not originate from God by his approval. The spirits of the Nephilim originated as offspring of the fallen waters in violation of God's commandments. The Son of God refers only to God's angels because humans are terrestrial, non-deity, corporeal beings and angels are extraterrestrial, non-deity, spiritual beings. Angels are the spiritual servants of God and they are God's sons. Jesus was not an alien, angel offspring. He was completely human. A human being never becomes god, but the spirits of all creatures come from god. In Greek and Roman mythologies, a mythological god impregnates a human female with a baby that becomes son of god, who is ultimately an illegitimate child, an abomination. These demigods of ancient mythology had abilities that humans did not have, such as incredible strength and speed. Modern Christianity is a religion which claims Jesus Christ was the only son of God born of a virgin human female because the early evolution of Christianity combined Roman mythology with the message of Jesus Christ to suit the ancient Roman emperor Constantine who was a pagan idolater. The abilities God gave to Jesus through His Holy Spirit to heal the sick, cast out demons, foretell the future, know the truth, teach forgiveness for repentance, and give humanity hope for everlasting life in the Holy Spirit were more understandable to those ancient pagans when they could relate these abilities as proof He was the Son of God, like Hercules, Heracles, or even Gilgamesh. Christianity evolved to become a pagan, polytheistic religion, not completely based on Judaism, which is monotheistic. The pagan Romans from the time of the Flavian dynasty, beginning about 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, perverted Christ's message over several perverse generations that resulted in the paganized version of Christianity. The formation of a standard text incorporating pagan beliefs with the message of Jesus Christ was approved by Constantine and sealed by Leo III to prevent any further changes. The fifth century roman emperor's outlawing of paganism was actually the permanent legalization of the paganized version of christianity the pagan roman version of christianity perverted the message of jesus christ by substituting god's eternal truth with pagan mythology so that it became on the whole in general catholicism all modern christian denominations Except those who, which specifically reject the pagan lies of virgin birth and son of God have descended from the perversion of Roman Catholicism. The perverse and pagan doctrine of Catholicism is not the true teaching of Jesus Christ because it proclaims a polytheistic personage of God as a holy trinity, which is a blasphemy of Almighty God and a contradiction of Christ's own words as quoted by those heretics, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. See Mark chapter 12, verse 29. None of the ancient Greek documents are original manuscripts written by any of the men who knew Jesus Christ or were actual witnesses to what happened. All of the documents pagan Catholics came to be, the evidence of truth, were fabricated by pagans and heretics as much as 100 years after Jesus Christ was murdered. Christianity has become a false religion based on the acceptability of pagan rituals and the fraudulent ideology of a human sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. In addition to Enoch's prophecies about the Messiah being the Son of Man and not the Son of God, there is the antediluvian revelation of the four archangel paths. The Chosen One will follow when anointed with God's Holy Spirit to be the Christ. The Angel of Peace explains these four archangel paths to Enoch. Noah and the Four Archangel Paths The appearance of Noah, the son of Lamech, occurs in this second part and Noah's transfiguration becomes an undeniable truth with the spells of confusion and misidentification broken in this poetic retelling. While Noah was one who was chosen to do God's will, he was not the one God chose to be the Messiah. Noah became one of several men in the history of mankind who answered the Lord's call and obeyed his commandments. Other than the clarification of Noah's own CE4 abduction, event and transfiguration to have everlasting life, there is another very important revelation in this part. The reference to son of woman contrasted with son of man is very important because it means that a natural human being is son of man. However, a hybrid human who is the result of extraterrestrial and human copulation is son of woman because there is no man as father. Yahweh does not make sons with a human female who will become demigods in the flesh. Nor does Almighty God have an eternal female entity with which he procreates. Eloy, the Shining One, is one. And he is capable of creating anything, anywhere in the universe from nothing. Any doctrine which denies this fact is a blasphemy of Eloy's tr- true singularity and supremacy in the universe. There is only one everlasting, eternal, and Almighty God. The four angels being described to Enoch in this part are archangels. In part one, angels who were with Enoch within the mothership were most likely cherubim, and they were the species known as Elohim, the shining ones, who are the angels God made in his own likeness. This distinction is important because their physical appearance is that they were completely white, glowing, and shining. The archangels Enoch observes and asks about in this part of the story are the four most powerful of the everlasting species of extraterrestrials. But Enoch does not provide much detail about their physical appearance. An easy conclusion is that the archangels were extra large versions of the cherubim and God also created them in his own image as completely white, glowing and shining. There is mention of at least four types of angels within the story. Seraphim, Archangels, ophanim, and Cherubim. However, there are many other published theories that say there are more species of extraterrestrials than these. In the poetic retelling of the story, there are seven archangels identified by name and their associated abilities or tasks as God assigned, Uriel, Sarah Kyle, Raquel, Raphael, Michael, Vanwell, and Gabriel. There is not an extensive effort within this creative work to clearly tell about all of the different species of extraterrestrials. But there are specific details about the seven Archangels and the Angel of Peace presented in the poetry. The important point made here is that there are several different species of extraterrestrial beings existing throughout the universe, but they are not all good. If they were all holy like the Elohim, then there would never have been the crime which occurred on planet Earth thousands of years ago. It is the natural order of all things in the universe to have a balance of both good and evil. The truth of this statement is becoming more understandable in modern times with the increased reporting of extraterrestrial abductions and encounters which do not always have a positive outcome. The purpose for some of these incidents might be to educate humanity on the truth as it appears within this poetry. Not all extraterrestrials have good intentions when visiting Earth, and there are both good and evil extraterrestrial originating forces influencing the evolution of humanity. The other important point made in the first canto of the second part is the completeness of the first parable of wisdom. The poetry clarifies the meaning by saying that everyone makes mistakes, but wisdom makes it possible to prevail. The second canto begins the second parable and the protective spell for this parable is one that causes confusion. This spell seems less supernatural than the first one because its effectiveness comes from the ungrammatical characteristics of the linguistic manipulations that become most evident in the early translations into English. The retelling in this poetic format breaks these linguistic spells of confusion by correcting the grammatical errors that cause the confusing contradictions in the source material. A great deal of effort has gone into correcting these errors in the poetic retelling, but some errors may still exist. For the author, every occurrence of review in the poetry reveals small errors in grammar and punctuation that originated in the early translated text. The reason for this book to be published first as its fourth edition is that previous editions were only privately distributed to select persons who have have been identified as the saints and the elect in the poetry. It has been the Holy Spirit who guides the author in making corrections, and it has been the prayers of the righteous that have made it possible. There was a purpose for the early editions and the distribution, but it was not clearly explained to those recipients. However, it is the author's understanding that the truly righteous among them did the right thing, but the truly unrighteous did nothing. God will be the judge, and God knows everything. The Parable of Knowledge and God's Eternal Truth Other than statements that said the opposite of what should have been logically correct, There were various occurrences of pronouns without a clear antecedent, which will cause confusion for any reader. There is a reason why writers should not use a pronoun without a clear antecedent. This type of grammatical error will confuse the reader and Lawrence's English translation only complicated the curse. Clearing up all of the confusing and misdirecting falsehoods made more complicated by linguistic complexity becomes possible with the knowledge of God's eternal truth. The second parable is all about knowledge. Confusion will persist for the reader who does not know the truth, which is the secret message hidden within this parable. Within this second canto, there is also the reference to a vision of Judgment Day. This vision is relevant when mentioning the condemnation of those who have an incorrect knowledge due to their impiety. To state it simply, Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, nor was he born of a virgin. Anyone who says or believes otherwise is also accusing the Messiah of being Son of Woman a bastard child or a mamzer as known in Hebrew. This matter becomes the condemnation of pagan Christians who believe in the concept of immaculate conception and Jesus as son of God. Despite the revelation of God's eternal truth becoming known in the text of this book and in accordance with the New Testament book of Revelation chapter 14 pagan Christians will refuse to repent of those lies which leads to an apocalyptic end for mankind because God will have judged them all as unworthy of heaven for their blasphemy. Canto 3 presents another vision of the future apocalypse also prophesied in Revelation chapter 14. Enoch's prophecy in this canto more specifically foretells the great deluge which was the punishment for the offspring of the fallen angels as a corrective measure to reset the earth for the sake of redirecting human evolution. An interesting discovery within this canto is that God grants mercy to the character Shamyaza who initially tried to stop the others from committing the crime. Shamyaza still gets punished because he went along with the others anyway but God's mercy for him is that he does not burn for eternity like the others. God takes away Shamyaza's gift of eternal life so that he simply burns up and is no more. Along with being able to grant any of his creations the gift of eternal life, God can also take that gift away. God is merciful to Shamyaza by taking away his eternal life so that his suffering in the final punishment does not last for eternity, the same as it does for all of the others who transgressed against God. Everlasting life can also result in everlasting punishment, and this knowledge is another example of the many antediluvian revelations within this book. The punishment of the transgressing angels and their abominated offspring occurs by the instrumentality of the holy angels. The poetic enhancements in this retelling explain this instrumentality as the tasks given to Raphael, Uriel, and other holy angels who might not have all been archangels. According to the poetic embellishment, one of the tasks God gave them was to direct an ice comet from the Oort cloud so that it slingshots around Jupiter to hit the earth and cause the cataclysmic flood earthquakes, tsunamis, and the destruction that may have occurred as much as 14,000 years ago. It is without any certainty that the event of the flood in Noah's time was the result of an ice comet impacting on Earth, but it is a reasonable postulation when considering that fragments from an ice comet would melt and become rain as it entered the Earth's atmosphere. Meteors are often completely burned up when entering Earth's atmosphere, but a fragment from an ice comet could reasonably become additional water on the Earth The same as some meteor fragments have reached the surface with some of them even leaving impact craters. Scientifically speaking, there may be two possible sources for comets, the Oort Cloud and the Kuiper Belt. Presently there exists many archaeological discoveries of evidences to prove that inexplicable calamities occurred all over the planet throughout history, but none of the evidence is able to provide definitive proof of the precise timing for the great deluge to have occurred. It seems reasonable to theorize in the light of many physical evidences that there have been multiple calamities occurring on earth over a long period of time and the great flood of Noah's time was only one of them. It does seem to reason that the great flood in Enoch's prophecies did not have the effect of wiping out all of the earth's living creatures everywhere and such a claim may only be a matter of poetic decorum as hyperbole. It is also an easy conclusion to draw that God did not have the intent to wipe out all of humanity with the flood. The intervention event was clearly aimed at destroying the Nephilim, which were the worst of the abominated offspring of the Fallen Watchers. Despite the many claims about the discovery of gigantic humanoid skeletal remains, the text of the Book of Enoch explains that they are all fake. There is no physical evidence of the Nephilim's previous existence on Earth because it was one of God's decrees to remove their remains from the Earth. There will never be Definitive archaeological evidence to prove that the giants, known as Nephilim, existed because God instructed his angels to remove their remains from the earth. As the poetry reveals, the bodiless souls of the Nephilim are condemned to roam the planet as restless demons to torment men who died as murderers, which includes soldiers of any military throughout all of history who have taken the lives of others. The Nephilim were also not the dinosaurs or other prehistoric creatures. The poetry corrects an overzealous ancient scribes use of hyperbole while preserving some of it at a more reasonable estimation about the size of the Nephilim. The poetry still employs hyperbole, but it is a bit more obvious with the literary allusion to Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. Other than the employment of literary allusions, the author also extends the explication of details with true science. The description of how comets move within the solar system is accurately represented in the poetry based upon modern understanding. The promise of destroying the earth by fire in the future also appears in this canto along with the curious prophecy about how Iran and Israel will go to war with each other prior to the initiation of a greater war, which will lead to complete destruction of all life on the planet. While nothing truly devastating has occurred to date in this ongoing conflict between Iran and Israel, it is a clearly provable fact that these two nations have been attacking each other for the latter half of the 20th century. And this ongoing conflict continues into the 21st century. The fourth edition of this text proposes that the Hamas attack on October 7, 2023, is one of several prophesied events appearing in the poetry that will occur as the day of judgment nears. The event of war in Israel has occurred and it does appear as a prophecy in the poetry within this part of the book, it is obvious that there is not likely going to be a peaceful solution to the conflict that has been a long time in the making. Well, that is all the time we have for this segment of the revised discussion of part two. As always, thank you for listening. I am Michael.